0: This is Florida Matters, I'm Robin Sessingham. Despite not being officially allowed to live in Florida until 1763, Jewish people escaping expulsions and exclusions were among the earliest settlers of the state. They've been politicians, business leaders, artists, Nobel Prize winners and more, and what is being called the first comprehensive history of Jews in Florida was published this month. The book is called Jews of Florida, Centuries of Stories. And its author is Marsha Joe Zarevitz, who's with me in the studio. Marsha, welcome to Florida Matters. Thank you, Robin. It's good to have you here. So the book has more than 400 pages of stories and photographs going back to the 1800s. What was your impetus for putting all this together?
1: Well, it starts back in the 60s when I moved to Florida. I was originally from West Virginia and um, moved to Florida. My husband was in the military. We moved to McCoy Air Force Base in Orlando. And I'm a person that asks a lot of questions. Well, Jews in nor- not- notoriously ask a lot of questions. So I got to Orlando, and I got very involved in the, Jewish community, the organized Jewish community. And I started asking questions like, where did people come from? When did they come? How long have they been here? How did they contribute to the community? How did they get along with the non-Jewish community? And nobody had any answers. And then I got very involved in the statewide and national organized Jewish community, and I was invited to sit on the first United Jewish Appeal Young Women's Leadership Cabinet. And I went to my first retreat in Washington. And as the women sat around, we talked about how we got involved, why we got involved. And almost everyone said, because my aunt or my grandmother or my mother before me was involved. And then I realized that in Florida, we didn't have those depths of generations. So Jewish continuity, which is the major goal of every Jewish organization and every Jewish family is to continuity, uh, I realized we had a major challenge here in Florida because people did not know the history. I found out that in the Northeast, the scholars never addressed Florida. They always thought it was post-World War II, condo commandos mentality, Miami Beach, who cared? Mm-hmm. And they really honestly thought, these academics, that it started post-World War Two. So I got very entrenched and passionate about this subject and began a 250,000 mile eight year trek around Florida, set up task forces in 30 different communities, recruited hundreds of volunteers. I did not do this alone. I had lots of help.
0: Now you're talking about, I don't know if you're going into the Mosaic project, because I know this turned into a big museum exhibition called mosaic, right? Yes, that's
1: what that's what mm-hmm. I'm leading into. That's yeah. what that's what it led to. The issue was that no one had ever dug into Florida Jewish history. No.
0: Are you let me just ask you, are you what did what you studied? Are you a historian? Are you, would you consider yourself a self-taught historian? I'm
1: definitely self-taught. I was trained as a dietician. Oh. I worked in a hospital. And uh, when I became a
0: passion of yours, it it
1: was, and I realized myself that by I needed to see pictures of people and hear their personal stories, see their things, and then they became alive. And then I remembered them. Like now, I have you know you know thirty five thousand photographs that I collected, and people always say to me, "How do you remember the names and dates?" I said, "They're like my children. You don't forget your children's names and dates because they've become very important to me."
0: Stories have really become part of you then. You've really taken them in. And I guess a lot of them just going through them were really moving. Thank um, you. Especially the early, a lot of the early families. Um, I wanted to ask you to talk about some of these people. You know, who would you say, what's the, who's the earliest family? Who was the earliest Jewish family in okay. Florida that you found? The,
1: the longest, Uh, continuing Jewish family in Florida is the Delinsky family from Jacksonville. Actually, they lived in this area too. And they're a perfect family for telling the story because not only are they the longest continuing Jewish family, they came from Prussia and they landed in New York in the late 1840s. They came to Jacksonville by 1850. When I say they, the the first person that came was Philip Delinsky. And he brought from Europe his father and mother. His mother unfortunately died in New York, but he brought his father Abraham and eight siblings to Jacksonville. So there was a whole large family. And this was in 1850. The family is still in Jacksonville, still Jewish, into the eighth generation.
0: But a lot, I mean, tentacles all over the state. Because I saw you said he had a hotel in Fort Meade. Absolutely. In Polk County. He had holdings in Bartow. So all over the state.
1: Right. That's what Jews in the early days, well, even today, it's not a new phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, They moved around according to the economic opportunity. First of all, they came to America. And you mentioned expulsions and exclusions. They originally came to America. America because of anti-Semitism. In fact that's a word I use 50 times in my book because that's what propelled people to move from place to place. And because of the exclusions and expulsions in Europe, they came to America and the Jews that came from the early in the early days from Europe, they were never allowed to be farmers. they couldn't own land. So they were very attracted to Florida because it was an economic opportunity, it was religious freedom, and they could work the land. That's why so many of the early pioneers were farmers. You're saying
0: they couldn't work the land back in Europe? They couldn't own land in Europe. But when they got to the United States— They got into citrus. They got into ranching. That's why Florida
1: was attractive, because it was a way for them to be independent, not have to work for someone else, to support their family. And that's what they were looking for. They were looking a way to support their family in freedom. So, yes, that Dolinsky family, you mentioned, yes, they moved all over the state because as economic opportunities opened up, like when Tampa opened up, when different areas opened up, they would move to strike out a new fortune, and one area would decline, and one opportunity, and one area would would be on the rise. So they moved around the state,
0: but they had their roots in Jacksonville. It yes, sounds and the like. family is still in Jacksonville, and they're still there. So, did, were they founders of that synagogue in Jacksonville? Yes, one of the
1: Morris Delinsky, was Phillips one of Philip's brothers became the first president of the second congregation in the state, which is the Havith Hesed in Jacksonville. He was also mayor at the same time. A lot oh, of early mayors. I think you said mayors. the only Jewish mayor still. Right, in Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Uh, we've had uh, over 200 Jewish mayors in Florida. In the early days, there were more. The first one was Henry Brash and Marianna in 1879. And they, it's because they were educated. They came here educated. They were trusted. They were good speakers. And people people respected them.
0: I so, think some people might be surprised about that, that there would be that much tolerance for Jewish people that they would elect them mayor of their town. Amazing, isn't it? You wouldn't, you know, a lot of times you wouldn't think that. But South Carolina, the same way, there was a lot of tolerance towards different religions, towards its Jewish religion back then. Right. Surprisingly.
1: I spent 13 pages of my book, which is a large chunk, on politics. I have a list of every Jewish mayor. I hope every, you know, I always say, you know, as best I could get. It took me years. I've been doing this for 35 years. So this book is a culmination of my 35 years of research. So I listed the Jewish mayors, uh, all the Jews in the state legislature, all the Jews in the federal who have been ambassadors. We've had one Jewish governor, David Schultz, in 1933. And as a matter of fact, he was attacked because of anti-Semitism. His opponent stated that he was a Jesus. I'm a Episcopalian, Episcopalian, but my, my opponent is Jewish. And he tried to use that to, you know, to put him down, but he actually got elected by the largest plurality
0: of that time. Um, I think people would be familiar with the name uh, Yule and Levy County. That was an early Jewish family in Moses the panhandle, Levy. right? Moses
1: Levy, no, in central Florida,
0: around Gainesville.
1: Oh. Okay. Um, Moses Levy is the most important person in early Florida Jewish history. He's a very important person in Florida history. He was the first developer in Florida that formed the first development corporation in 1819. His attorney was Alexander Hamilton, Jr., who was the U.S. attorney for the East District at that time. So he uh, bought 100,000 acres in, like, it starts like, in Gainesville area, Lachua County, Orange, Seminole County, all the way over here to, to Hillsborough County in Tampa. He had 100,000 acres, and he formed a colony, a, a plantation in Micanope called Pilgrimage Plantation, specifically to bring Jews that were already being persecuted in Northern Europe before they were even persecuted in Eastern Europe, to bring them to Central Florida to become farmers. And as I mentioned, Jews in Europe were not used to being farmers. They, they were not farmers because they couldn't own land. So he brought them to Central Florida, just a little south of Gainesville. He was a founder of Micanopy. And he brought, uh, he, he devoted 1,000 acres to this plantation. And they, they spoke Hebrew. They, he taught them farming. He brought the first citrus trees. He brought the first sugar, tree, sugar cane trees. Uh, How many people there were, ended up settling there? There were probably about 35. There were five Jewish families that came. Mm-hmm. Uh, Felix Warburg of the German Warburg family was his agent in Europe to recruit. In fact, Warburg came there to live himself. In fact, on the campus of the University of Florida, there's a Lake Warburg, named for him. There's a Levy Lake which is uh, off the property where uh, he had his plantation. But he he was the first commissioner of education for Florida. He was responsible for the first public school in St. Augustine. He was amazing. He was a brilliant man. He was against slavery. He was an abolitionist. He went to England and spoke out. for abolition, um, he had slaves, but he believed that his slaves should be free when they became of age. They wouldn't, but he wouldn't free them until they were educated. He wanted to keep families together. He, if he was known as an abolitionist in Florida, that would have been a problem because the Florida economy was based on slavery at that time. So he was a practicing Jew then. This he was, was in Orthodox. in early to
0: mid-1800s.
1: He, he he, his plantation was from 1822 to 1835. But he came into Florida in 1819 when he started buying his land.
0: But I think I read in your book that his descendants now do not consider themselves Jewish. That's right. That's when you asked me who was the longest continuing mm-hmm. would be
1: the Dolinskys. Okay. But he was, of course, very well known because he was the father, eventually, of David Leviuli. When he got he got divorced— the family had come from Morocco and gone to Cuba, St. Thomas in Cuba. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting because his son, David Leviuli, who you mentioned, became the first person of Jewish ancestry to serve in the U.S. Senate. There have been there's been a book written about Judah P. Benjamin as the first Jew to serve in the U.S. Senate, but he was not. He was eight years after David Levy Yule And they were actually cousins, and their fathers were in business together in St. Thomas. And it's interesting that both of the sons became U.S. senators, one from Louisiana, one from Florida. So David levi Yule became the first Florida senator. He was actually responsible for bringing Florida in as the 27th state in 1845. He helped draft the Constitution. He had, back to the plantation, he had worked on the plantation with his father, and that's where his father wanted him to be. And they had many differences of opinion. One is uh, on slavery. David was, believed he had, in slavery, and he had slavery on his plantation. The son? The son, David. Ah, And uh, also, as you mentioned, uh, Moses was an Orthodox Jew. He actually was a literalist. He lived his life just as the Bible said, where David did not want to be so religious. And there's been a lot of discussion over the years that David Leviuli had converted. And I have evidence. I have a, a copy of a letter that his wife Nanny wrote him after he had served in politics, imploring him to be baptized with their son. So that indicates that he had not been baptized. He had not been converted. But he had married
0: a non-Jew. He had married,
1: as did Judah P. Benjamin, as did many other people. Mm
0: -hmm. Let me me stop you for a second. I know. It's hard for me to stop. I'm sorry. (laughs) Marcia, so you obviously could have done a whole book about this history, even this one story. Um, But you've taken us all the way up to modern times. You mentioned Sam Proctor at the University of Florida, and I know he has been really important to to you and to the history of, of Jewish people in Florida. Tell me about him. Well, Sam Proctor was born in Jacksonville. His parents had a
1: little grocery store where he used to work. He always, I have a wonderful photograph of that in the book. And there's a woman behind the cash register. It's hard to see her, but he said, That's my mom. And she was always behind the cash register. Mm -hmm. But Sam became my cheerleader when I started this project. He was so excited. He was the only person that had ever done any history historical research, and he at all. was a
0: professor at the University for of Florida for
1: 50 years she taught he taught Florida history not Jewish history Florida history at the University of Florida he was known as Mr. Florida History right. and everyone that went to Gainesville jew or non-jew knew Sam Proctor right. he, was 11. he was a he was a you know a mentor to the fraternity the Jewish fraternities and his wife was a, uh, a house mother to A.E. in at the University of Florida that Bessie and Sam were just
0: beloved I'm Robin Sessingham and this is Florida Matters. I'm speaking to Marsha Joe Zarevitz, author of the new book, Jews of Florida: Centuries of Stories. It really is centuries of stories, Marsha. And I wanted I had to ask you, how did you decide whom to include and whom to leave out? Because I know just in my family, uh, we've had comments about who's not in there, and I imagine you've gotten a lot of feedback about why isn't my grandfather in there? Why isn't my father in there? How how did, you, how did you make these decisions?
1: First of all, I was running a museum, and it was exhibition-focused. Mm-hmm. So you have to have either a thing or a photograph. So a lot of people come in and say, why is my grandfather not there? He had a little grocery store on 8th Street, and I don't see him. So I'll say, well, did you bring us a picture? Do we have a picture? Do we have his story? No. I said, well, yeah. then how would I know, number one? Number two... Um, limited by space. It's, yes, yeah, it's 434 pages. Uh, it's very comprehensive. The hardest part of doing this book, and it took me two full years to organize it and it's put it together. It, I organized it by themes. That I, I, took a lot of time to figure out how do how I present this material. It, right. Because, you know, if you don't Put it in a logical manner, people are not going to be able to, to chew on all this. Right. So uh, I did it by themes, and uh, I picked out people that best represented the theme, best res- represented the story that I wanted to tell. And obviously, I had to have something. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Whether it's arts or politics, Holocaust was one, was a really moving chapter. That had some surprises for me. Henry Landworth in Orlando, who owned a lot of. Um, Holiday Holiday inns. He had met the astronauts because he had the hotels out in uh, Cape Canaveral. He'd lived in Lakeland for a while, um, moved to Orlando, and very successful. I did not realize he was a Holocaust survivor. So um, these stories were, were incredible. And they're inspirational. They
1: they make you want to act. To me, especially, the, I want young people to get a hold of this book. I want people to buy it for their grandchildren, their children, because they're inspiring. And to me, if when I read stories like that, it makes me want to do something with my life, make my life meaningful. And that's what I'm hoping it will inspire people to take action.
0: So all these stories, I just want to ask you, I mean, you've been working on... The Jewish people's story in Florida since the mid-80s. The the mid-80s. Thirty-five years. Is there some kind of a thread or a theme that you have uncovered running through the history? Yes. My bottom line was we
1: look back to ensure our moving forward. Because I start out by saying it's all about roots and memory and Jewish continuity. Like cut flowers, Jews wither without roots. Our collective memories are our roots. That's what drove me to do what I did. We need the the roots. People need to know these stories to know what Jews before them did to make it comfortable for them to live as Jews. Because in reading the book, you you read a lot about it was not comfortable to be Jewish here.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to ask you about that because it really— was not that long ago. I mean, a generation ago that a lot of places in the state were restricted. Restricted meant Jews are not welcome here. It was hotels, country clubs, of course, uh, swimming pools, restaurants. And you might see a sign um, that said, we are restricted. And you knew fewer Jewish to turn around. Um, So... It's hard for younger people to understand what that was like. I was having dinner with a Catholic couple the other night,
1: and this always just stops people in their tracks. They, they ask me about you know the book and everything, and I'll say, well, you know, Ponce de Leon discovered Florida for Spain in 1513. And because Spain then owned Florida, and it was during the Inquisition, only Catholics could live in Florida for 250 years. And they look at me like where do you come up with something like that but that's the reality and people just have a hard time because people even the editors of my book they wanted to call it jewish florida uh they you know that the, the anti, anti-semitism goes back to wilhelm marr the word in 1879 when he created the word because he his his group felt that jews were going were, wanted to take over the world to run the world And they called that Semitism. So they formed this group, Anti-Semitism. And that's it's the fear of non-Jews, that Jews are going to take over, rule everything, own all the banks, you've heard. So in Florida, for people to think that Jews could not even live here for 250 years, they just have trouble absorbing that fact. But it wasn't until 1763, after the French-Indian War, in the Treaty of Paris, in Paris, France, that That treaty said that Florida would be turned over to Britain. That's when Spain got rights to Cuba and rights to Louisiana. So Jews who were living in Louisiana for hundreds of years had to leave, and they came into Pensacola, Florida in 1763. That was the first place where Jews lived in Florida. So the people are shocked in two aspects. One, the Jews couldn't live here for the first 250 years, but they don't really realize what that date is. Because then when you tell them the Jews have been here since 1763, they're also like surprised. Oh, they've been here that long. So it was 250 years they couldn't be here, but we've been here for 250 years and made all these contributions. So my bottom line is, yes, it is twofold. One, that Jews have made, hum- I say ginormous, I made up a word, ginormous contributions to the development of Florida in every area that you mentioned. And the fact that we ourselves need these stories, these roots, to ensure our continuity.
0: Are there some people in your research that you just found Amazing. Maybe the most influential people that you that you thought of. Tell us about those people.
1: Shepherd Broad comes to mind. He was um, an orphan in the potato famine. His family died, and he took advantage of the highest Hebrew Immigration Aid Society, which in the early part of the twentieth century were bringing Jews to America, and he made his way by foot from Russia to a port in Western Europe and got to, on the wrong boat, he was supposed to come to America because he had an uncle that was living in New York, but he got on the wrong boat and ended up in Canada. He was going to be sent back because he was sickly looking and, you know, they didn't want not unhealthy people to come into the country. So this, this shepherd boy was very sickly and he was about to be sent back, and he caught the eye of this benefactor, Adolf Stark, was his name. And, and Adolf took him off the ship, took him home, gave him the first bath of his life. He was fourteen years old, and got him clothes, and was got and got him in contact with his uncle in New York, and took him to New York. And he went. He, you know, of course, he was speaking Russian. He learned English. A Very, very bright person. He um, was in uh, New York, went through school went to law school, got married, and he became a very prominent attorney and wanted to to, go on a, to take his clients on a fishing trip. They went to Key West. And on the way, by, way back from Key West, it was in the early 40s, he stopped in Miami, Miami Beach, and saw that it was just fabulous, beautiful place to live. So he went home and he told his wife, Ruth, that they were going to move to Miami Beach, which they did. And he developed, he became a developer and a banker, and he developed Bay Harbor Islands. If you've ever been to Miami Beach, it's uh, right when you drive up to uh, up Miami Beach, you go through Bell Harbor. He uh, dredged up land to become Bay Harbor Islands, became the mayor, longtime mayor of Bay Harbor Islands. He started American Savings Bank. He started the law firm abroad in Cassell, which is all over the state, all over as many offices all over the world. And most importantly for Jews, he was very instrumental when uh israel was going to become a state ben gurion put shepherd broad in charge of getting boats to not only start the israeli navy but to go to europe and bring refugees out of the. this was after the holocaust it was right after the holocaust and bring uh the, the dps out of the refugee camps to palestine displaced
0: persons yes
1: mm-hmm. so uh shepherd Brown went back to miami he bought banana boats and they re outfitted them on the Miami River. They built bunks in them for the refugees. They put, you know, they, they collected munitions, weapons with all the with bullets and everything. Put them under the floorboards of the ships. Recruited Americans, some Jews, some not, captains to sail boats. Shepard was the most major Zionist from Florida, and he accomplished a huge amount. In fact, he won the Horatio Alger Award. Of all the people that I interviewed, and I did over seven hundred oral histories, Shepherd Broad was the most brilliant person that I interviewed. So you uh, actually spoke to him? Oh yes. And how old was he? His when... daughter was actually a very good friend. He was. Uh, he was born in nineteen. Uh, let's see. He came in nineteen twenty. He was fourteen, so he was born in nineteen oh six. Yeah,
0: six somewhere around. Yeah. There. So when you
1: spoke to him, it was in the nineteen eighties. Okay. He died in the nineties. I forget what year. But he was just such a powerful man and sweet and gentle, but brilliant. So, yes, if I had to pick out one person, that's the first, you're the first person that's ever asked me that. And another thing related to that, um, I, as I moved around the state all those years, I never stayed in a hotel. It was the most remarkable thing. I would get a name, and somebody would say, oh, if you're going to Miami, you got to call so-and-so. I'd call them up, and one was Ann Bustle, who was Shepherd Broad's daughter. And she said, you have to stay with me. And I said, of course, and that's, what, that's how I gathered the history. People would bring their family out. I didn't know who Shepherd Broad was. She brings down her family album and tells me her father's story.
0: Um you mentioned a few times this Jewish Museum of Florida. Um so briefly tell me so you founded that museum yes. and all this work that you were doing for that museum is the foundation for this book. Where is the museum and um and what's there? Miami Beach wasn't even a city until 1915.
1: So the first Jews came in 1913. That was Joe and Jenny Weiss who started Joe's Stone Crab Restaurant. Most everybody knows of Joe's. And they're astounded to know that they were Jewish. And they had to live south of Fifth. Why was that? Because the deeds, they were restrictive covenants in the deeds. It said if you had of any Syrian or Hebrew blood, these were actually in Carl Fisher, who was the developer of Miami Beach. This was actually written in the deeds. But the interesting thing is South the Fifth, the Loomis brothers, L-U-M-M-U-S, had come from the Carolinas, which you mentioned earlier, they were tolerant of Jews. They bought the land south of Fifth, and they had always done business with Jews back in the Carolinas, so they, they leased and, and sold land to Jews. So Jews could be south of Fifth. So the, the building that I converted, the synagogue that I converted to the museum is south of Fifth. I was doing all this research, and it was specifically for the traveling exhibit, Mosaic Jewish Life in Florida. Right. People were saying, we need to create a museum. Every time I opened an exhibit, we would have a board meeting. I had a statewide board of 72 people. And in 1992, here in Tampa, we made the decision to create a Jewish Museum of Florida. So um, I was looking in Pensacola and Tallahassee and Jacksonville. But this building became, it was available because of the neighborhood. People had had gone, the neighborhood had gone into decline. People had the older Jews had died and the neighborhood was the ban the synagogue had been abandoned and it was totally derelict. It was disgusting. But I saw the building and I fell in love with it because it was 80 stained glass windows. Henry Hohauser designed the building. who was the most famous of the Art Deco architects. That was his first
0: project in 1936. And so that is where the museum ended up. Uh, Marcia yeah. Joe Zarevitz, I clearly <laughs> we we could talk all day, I think. You have amazing stories to tell. But unfortunately, our time is limited. Marcia Joe Zarevitz is the author of the new book, Jews of Florida, centuries of stories. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. I have it's my pleasure. I you. love to spread the word and get people excited about Florida Jewish history. You can listen to Florida Matters whenever it's convenient for you as a podcast. You can search for it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is George Govin. The show is produced by Christy O'Shana. I'm Robin Sussingham.